Joshua 23 tonight. Now we're scripting through much of the book of Joshua. Joshua is dealing with the conquest of the land and the reason we're skipping through it is Joshua is going to recap on a lot of it for us tonight, at least the heart of it, uh, in terms of what God has done. Uh, as Joshua closes out his days, and um, <clears throat> we come to the end of this time of the conquest, and really this is a good time for Israel. Uh, if you were to pick a time in Israel's history uh, that was good, that was maybe the best time, you'd be looking at this time. Uh, this generation, remember their parents all died in the wilderness. Um, they, they, they were all left in the wilderness. Uh, and this generation uh, seized the metal, so to speak, and came in and took the land and did uh, an amazing job. And we're going to find out that uh, they continued to do a good job as far as walking with God all the days. Uh, the, of their lives. This, this generation really is the, uh, the cream of the crop as far as generations go in Israel. But Joshua is passing off the scene, scene and he's going to give them a challenge. He's going to challenge them to choose the Lord. Now, <clears throat> he was dealing with good people, so to speak. But he was still challenging them and he was warning them as well. Now, you know what? Here we are on a Sunday night, and the fact that you're out on a Sunday night means, you know what? Listen, you have a heart for God. Or else you're in the men's home and you're a maid come, all right? <laughs> uh, but you have a heart for God generally, and you know, you want to be here. And, um, <clears throat> but you know what? It's easy for us to lose it. And the day we start thinking that we couldn't lose it, that we have it together, is the day we do lose it. Any of us doesn't matter where we So we need to take, take seriously uh, the lessons that we're going to learn from these two chapters and apply them to our lives. We're going to look at chapter 23 and chapter 24 as well. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll just jump right in. Father, would you bless us tonight? Lord, we love you. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for all your blessing and all your hand upon us. And Lord, we, we, we look now to the, <clears throat> these pages of Scripture and this leader that you um, put before the nation of Israel. And Lord, as he's passing off the scene, he has a warning for them. And oh, Lord... Uh, May we heed the warning, too, to our lives. Lord, would you bless, would you help us, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Genesis, or sorry, Joshua chapter 23. And it came to pass, a long time after that, that the Lord had given rest unto Israel from all their enemies round about, that Joshua waxed old and stricken in age. And Joshua called for all Israel, and for their elders, and for their heads, and for their judges, and for their officers. And he said unto them, I am old and stricken in age. And ye have seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he that hath fought for you. Now, Joshua is the leader. But there's no strutting his stuff for Joshua. Joshua knows how this battle went. You know, he has, he has, he, he has seen uh, a land taken over. Uh, it's amazing in military terms what's actually been accomplished uh, in the last few years. But Joshua knows it wasn't him. And he knows it wasn't the people. It was the Lord. The Lord your God uh, hath fought for you. God has fought for you. God has won these battles for you. Behold, I have divided unto you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from Jordan with all the nations that I have cut off, even unto the great sea westward. And the Lord your God, he shall expel them from before you and drive them out uh, from out of your sight, and ye shall possess their land as the Lord your God hath promised uh, unto you. Right? <clears throat> now, uh, they hadn't taken all the land yet. There was still land to take. Right? <clears throat> they, had, they had peace in the sense that there were no enemies 
that really could stand against them. But there was a mop-up operation supposed to be in process, and they were supposed to be pushing and clearing up the pockets of people that were left in it, and um, they were to do it, and the Lord was going to do it for them. Remember, the promise uh, early on in the book was, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you. So that everywhere the nation of Israel would go, God had given them the land. Uh, it was theirs. Uh, they, 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 they were to have it. But look at verse 6. Be therefore very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that ye turn not aside therefore therefrom the therefrom to the right hand or to the left. Remember, the courage they need to have is the courage to follow God and live for God in the midst uh, of a land that was crooked and twisted and, <clears throat> and bent in every way possible. You know what? We have the same challenge to our lives today, too. We're supposed to be courageous to follow God in the midst of a culture uh, that is going downhill rapidly. Right? And we, we need to kind of square up to that. Uh, in a sense, you might say for Israel, well, you know, they were, they were the top dog at this stage uh, in the land of Cain, and it was kind of easy for them. We're not the top dog. But the same challenge goes out to us that we're supposed to stand against our culture. We're supposed to live for God in a day when the culture is doing anything but live for God. We need to walk with God in a day that, that, that's wicked. And we're going to see promises if we do that, and we're going to see a curse if we don't. Right? And then we're going to look in the New Testament and see it repeated in a, in a fashion for us. All right? uh, verse 7, That ye come not among these nations that remain among you, neither make mention of the names of their gods, nor cause to swear by them, neither serve them, nor bow yourselves unto them. Right? <clears throat> now, <clears throat> Cain was a wicked place, full of wickedness and idolatry, full of idols and wickedness of the grossest kind. And, and what Joshua is saying here to the nation is he's saying, listen, have nothing to do with them. Nothing, don't come among them. Uh, don't make mention of their names. Uh, nor Don't swear by them. Don't serve them. Don't bow yourselves down unto them. Have nothing to do with them. You know, what he's talking about is separation. Now, I'll tell you, in our day and age, we're not good at separation. In our day and age, we're not good at making a difference between us and the world. Not alone does the world want to blur the line, but we want to blur the line. We want to make it so that we're comfortable in the world, and they're comfortable with us. Right? Now, you would think <clears throat> that uh, the command could have been to, to, to Israel, make friends with them. Bring them to worship with you. Get them to worship the living God. But that's not what the command is. The command is don't go near them. Have nothing to do with them. Stay away from them. It's, you know, it's, it's a pretty tough command. They, they, they were never to put them... And we've got to square up to that in our society and in our culture. You know, listen, our culture and Christianity, our culture and God have nothing to do with each other. Now, we have a commission to reach them, but it's, a, it's an assault commission. It's the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. The church is supposed to go in, and we're supposed to see people plucked out of Satan's kingdom. And draw, but we're not supposed to make friends with the culture. We're not supposed to become part of the culture. That's not what we're about. 
We're supposed to be a very separate people. And I say, well, look at that. We'll see that in the, uh, in the New Testament. Uh, he says, but cleave unto the Lord your God as you have done uh, unto this day. Now, they've been doing good at this. Cleave unto the Lord your God. So when they cleave, when they, <clears throat> when they join themselves, attach themselves to the Lord their God, what it meant was they were uh, distancing themselves or separating themselves from the people of the land. They were saying, we're God's people. You're not. We're different to you. <clears throat> that's, and uh, as harsh as that sounds, even to us today, that's, what they, that's exactly what they were to do. Right? Um, for the Lord hath driven out from before you great nations and strong. But as for you, no man hath been able to stand before you unto this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand for the Lord your God. He it is that fighteth for you, as he hath promised unto you. Take good heed therefore unto yourselves that ye love the Lord your God. Now, why were they able to defeat their enemies? Why were they able to defeat armies and nations that were stronger than them? Why were they able to win? Because God was on their side. And nobody could win against God. Their strength was that they stood with God holy, and God stood with them holy, and they were able to win because of that. That's where your strength and my strength lies too. Your strength and my strength does not lie in the fact that the world accepts us. Your strength and my strength lies in the fact that God loves me and will take care of me. That God will watch over me. That as I seek him and put him first in my life, he's going to take care of me. He's going to bless me. He's going to watch over me. My strength is not in the fact that I can actually get the world to work for me. No, the world won't ever work for me. Remember, there's a rot in the heart of the world. The rot in the heart of the world is that it's not of God, it's of the enemy. And it's no friend to you. And you've got to keep that in mind. You've got to remember that. Yeah, you're supposed to reach the world with the gospel. That's, that's, what you're, that's what you're about. But you're not looking to make friends with the world. Remember, there's the offense of the gospel. That whenever you're trying to reach people with the gospel, sooner or later they're going to get offended. Didn't you? I got offended. I got offended. How dare this man tell me I'm a wicked sinner going to hell. I was highly offended. Everybody has to get highly offended sooner or later with the gospel. So making friends with the world puts you in a place where you can't deliver the offense of the gospel. Now it's a different thing to you being the offense. You're not supposed to be the offense. <clears throat> but there is an offense of the gospel and there's, there's no way around it. Ultimately what the gospel is saying to all of us is you're sinners. And apart from the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can't be anything but a sinner and you can't get to heaven. That's, you know what? That's not a very tolerant message for the 21st century, is it? In the 21st century, people want a nicer message than that, but that's the message. <clears throat> that is the message. And by the way, there is no salvation apart from the gospel. <clears throat> the gospel is the power of God and the salvation. The gospel is the dynamite that actually brings people into salvation. And when we make friends with the world rather than confront the world with the gospel, what happens is we fail to ignite the dynamite that does the work. And that, that's, that's what we need to do. That's what we're called to do. Uh, that's what we do. We, oh, we set off a bomb that brings salvation. Really what happens is when somebody gets saved, they flee to Christ understanding, I'm lost. I need him. And that happens when we actually confront with the gospel. Um, 
Okay, now, so, so, so they're supposed to <clears throat> not have anything to do with them. They're supposed to walk with God and know God's power. Now, we're not looking at it, but 2 Corinthians chapter 6 uh, says this. Uh, it says, uh, Come out from among them and be ye separate, and I will be a father unto you. That's the same truth here. That they could depend upon God to take care of them because they were separate from the world and they were looking, depending only upon him. They were looking to the world and they, uh, uh, they were looking to him uh, and not looking to the world uh, for their strength. And we need to be the same. <clears throat> Okay, now here comes the curse in verse 12, right? Else if you do in any wise go back and cleave unto the remnant of these nations, even these that remain among you, and shall make marriages with them, and go in unto them, and day unto you, know for certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps unto you, and scourges in your sight, and thorns in your eyes, until ye perish from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. Now this generation are going to do pretty well on this, but you know what? They're the only generation that does. And the, the curse that's delivered here is actually what happens for Israel. Now think with me for a minute. How do you think it happened? Here they are. They're winning wars. They're, they're in charge. They are the top dog. They are the head and not the tail. Uh, they are winning. They are doing well. They are taking everything. They have vineyards. They have houses. They have olive groves. They have everything they could want, and they are winning. And God is showing himself to be <clears throat> far superior to any of the gods of the world. What do you think happened for them? How do you think Israel eventually got sucked in? You know, you, you're going to come to a day uh, when, there's a, uh, when there are kings sitting on thrones in, in Israel that won't worship God and they're worshiping idols. How, how's that going to happen? How, how does that happen? Well, let me give you three stages I think it happens in. Right? And the first two, I'm not sure whether the, which order they happen in, right? But I think here's what happens. Their thinking got affected by the people around them. You would have to, wouldn't it? You know, what you have is you have these people and they're worshipping idols and, you know, after a while, they're just people. They're not the enemy. Everybody, do you know everybody gets tired of fighting eventually? You know, they just get tired of fighting. They get tired. Listen, fighting is a tiring business. Um, <clears throat> so after a while, they, they, they would have gotten infected by the thinking. I heard one preacher describe it this way. He said, <clears throat> what would have happened is, you know, um, <clears throat> one of the Canaanites that used to own that field will walk by your field and see you harvesting in your field and say, how many bushels did you get out of it? Well, I got 10. You know, we used to get 25. How'd you get 25? Well, you see over in that corner over there? We had a little altar over there. And we used to worship such and such a God. And I'm telling you, I don't understand it all, but we got 25 bushels out of this field. Now, whether it was true or false is not the issue. The issue is something like that would have sunk in for them. And they began to say to themselves, hang on a minute, I got 10 bushels? He got 25? Am I really worshiping the right God? And what happened is their thinking began to be affected. Do, 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 do you know what we do? We're, we're very um, oriented towards what happens, how it comes together. You know, <clears throat> uh, does it work or doesn't it work? Right? If it works, then it must be true. It's called pragmatism. 
but it's very very much a part of our of our thinking you know and if it doesn't work then 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 it's not true now let's think for a second what are the possibilities when it comes to um, them getting 10 bushels and, and, and the, uh, the Canaanites getting 25. Well, they several. First of all, the Canaanite could be lying straight out, couldn't he? He might have been getting 8 bushels. But he was just telling a lie. That, that, that's a possible. Um, <laughs> another possibility is that God's not letting them get 25 bushels. For some reason, God has decided they're not going to get that. Right? <clears throat> um, Something that's not a possibility is that some other god could give 25 bushels. Because what does Paul say about these other gods, these idols? They're no gods. They are no gods. <clears throat> Remember when, when um, <clears throat> Elijah's on top of Mount Carmel? And, and God challenges through Elijah the, the prophets of Baal? The prophets of Baal have no power. Why? Because they're not gods. You see, being a god means you can do what you like when you like. If there's somebody that can silence you and stop you from doing it, you're not God. Now, our God is the God. Nobody puts him, uh, quietens him down. Nobody silences him. He does whatever he likes in the world. Nobody, not them, not the devil, not us, nobody tells God to back off. God does what he likes in the world. Right? So... <clears throat> You know, there are many reasons why it's possible that they could have been getting more in their days. But, you know, the truth is, whatever happened for the nation of Israel, the thought went in. And the thought went in, maybe. And when he was over in that corner of the field, he kind of poked around. Sure enough, there's a little altar over there. And when nobody was looking, he took the sacrifice the guy told him, just, just to see. To see if it would work. And <clears throat> whatever happened, he felt, you know what, got a better yield this year. Then they got sucked in. They got sucked in to the gods whom their god had defeated. Openly. We're very foolish creatures at heart. We really are. Our thinking doesn't stay straight for long. Have you noticed that about yourself? You know, would it be nice if you could learn something? You know, check it. Okay, got that down. Never need to look at it again. But what happens is I'm learning the same truth over and over and over again. Right? And the more I apply it, the more I see. But you know what? I have no doubt that I could so easily... Back off from truth. Um, <clears throat> in men's Sunday school, we're looking at the security of the believer. Do you know uh, that, that First Peter says that you can forget the blood that bought you? In other words, you can forget you're saved. You can forget uh, that you've become uh, <clears throat> one of his. Uh, so, <clears throat> you know what? You could easily lose ground. You could lose a lot of ground. And one of the ways that you would lose a lot of ground is you would just get sucked in by the world's thinking. Well, 
Second thing I have down here is friendship. Now, I'm not sure whether you made friends first or what, and got the thinking or whether you got the thinking first and made friends. I'm not sure how that would work. Uh, it could be either way. It could be even both ways. But you know what? <clears throat> After a while, you got talking to these guys, and you know what? They weren't so bad. He has a wife and two kids, too. You know, <clears throat> he's struggling to raise these kids. And he's just a regular Joe, just like you. You know, he's, he's normal, just like you. And, you know, so you know what? You, you, you begin a friendship with him. <clears throat> Real easy thing to do. Now, should you have friends in the world? I think you should. But I think you should have friends in the world for the purpose of reaching them with the gospel. That's really. I think if you have friends in the world and that's not your, that's not your edge, that's not your angle, you know, <clears throat> what's going to happen to you is you're going to get dulled by your friends in the world. That's just the reality. You, you can say, no, no, I won't, but you will. Because you're a social creature. You know, you want to be accepted. And so this, this little Israeli man made a, <clears throat> made a friendship with this Canaanite man, and, and, and the Canaanite man would, would, would praise his God uh, <clears throat> around the Israelite, and the Israelite wanted to be friends. Would say nothing. Just let it by. You know, just, just not make a big issue of it. Isn't, isn't that the way it works? Isn't that the way it works for us? Isn't that what we do? You know, we see wickedness going on around us, and, 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 you know, it's just the world. It's just the way they are. He's just a Canaanite. He's, you know, that's just the way somebody is. But here's what happens. When we do that, our edge gets dulled. We get dulled when we do that. You see, we get affected by it because we're social creatures. third thing he mentions here is the idea of marriage. You know, well, why not? She's pretty. You know, why not? Why should I not marry her? You know, what's the problem? I know, I, I know she's not uh, an Israelite. And, and I, you know, once we get married, I'm sure she'll become like me. You know, it's, listen, can't you see it? Can't you see how plausible it is? Can't you see it when you look at Christianity today? That's exactly what's happening. You know that the line between the world and Christianity is getting blurred, even in our own hearts. And what it does is it, it, it strangles the life of Christianity in us. It strangles the life of God. Now look with me at James again. We're looking at James chapter 4. James 4 verse 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now what does that mean to you? What does that mean? Being a friend of the world. Being a friend of the world, of the world system. Well, the world system is made up of people. Now, now don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you shouldn't be a good neighbor. I'm not saying you shouldn't be a good workmate. I'm not saying, you know, uh, that you shouldn't get along with people that are not safe. What I am saying is this. You're different. You are different, and you will always be different. You need to accept the difference, and you need to let them know the difference, too. 
You need to let them understand there's a difference between you and me. I follow God. You, you need to be kind. You need to be nice. But you need to know there's a difference between you and them. You just can't let the friendship of the world uh, become something that guides your life. And I am telling you, as Christians, in the 21st century, you're having a hard time with this one. Because this is the way life goes nowadays. Tolerance has put us on the, uh, on the wrong foot. You see, uh, if you declare yourself to be a child of God and declare yourself to be different from them, what happens is, you know, they end up looking at you like you've got two heads. And because you're a social creature, you don't want to look like you've got two heads. You don't want somebody treating you like that. You want to be, you want to be nice. Uh, you want to be well regarded. So what happens is, you know what? Uh, you back off on your Christianity. And when you back off on your Christianity, you lose ground. That's exactly what Israel did. We're going to see in a moment, they said never. <coughs> we will never serve their gods. But they did. <coughs> it took a while, but they did. And you know what happens for us? The same thing. We say never. No, no, no. We are Christians. We are going to live different. We are going to be God's children in this world. But we let our edges get eroded, get softened. We want to get along. We want to be nice. We want to be friendly. We want to be well-regarded. But you're not supposed to be well-regarded for you. You're supposed to be well-regarded because of God. Remember what Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and think you're a great guy. Uh-uh. And glorify your Father which is in heaven. You're supposed to be well-regarded. You're supposed to be a good worker, but they're supposed to know, hey, this is about God. And you say, but everybody's not going to like that. No, I know they're not. You say, everybody won't be my friend if I do that. I know they won't. But that's where you're supposed to be. Let's see here in James again. The adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. <laughs> now notice what God says here. God does not say, that doesn't make me happy. God doesn't say, you know what, I think that's, that, that could be a problem for you and me. God says, you're an adulterer. Now, adultery is a pretty serious crime, even in our wicked society today. You know, it's one of the crimes that's kind of still a serious crime. It's still seriously wrong for people to do. It's amazing. In, in a day as wicked as that, it's a pretty serious thing. It's a pretty low thing. Adultery. And that's what God accuses his children of when we make a friendship with the world. Now, understand it. You're not part of this world system. You're a child of God. You're different. You're a different race, nation, whatever you want to call it. You're different. You're not supposed to be a friend of the world. You're not supposed to let the world in. You're not supposed to be somebody who's highly regarded in the world. Uh, as one of them, because you're not. And <clears throat> listen, if they don't know you're not one of them, whose fault is that? Are they supposed to, you know, <clears throat> see, some, see a different hue on your skin that means you're a Christian? No, you're supposed to tell them. You're supposed to let them know. You're supposed to communicate to them. I'm a child of the living God. 
You're supposed to communicate that. Otherwise, what's going to happen is the basis of your relationships with the world are going to be wrong. Look at verse 5. Do you, do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? What does that mean? That means the Spirit of God has strong and passionate envy or jealousy over you. He wants you. Now, in one sense, that's absolutely thrilling to us. God wants me? But in this sense here that he's talking about, you know what? It's something God is not, is not happy with. When we let the world erode us, when we get drawn into the world and let the world erode us. And, and that's what Israel did. And because Israel did that, you know what God did? God cursed them. Look back in our, in our text in, in Joshua. Verse 13, No, for certainly that, that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps unto you, and scourges in your sides, and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Right? Now, oh, God was going to be jealous, he was going to be upset, and he was no, no more going to go with them. Now, what was Israel's glory? They were not the strongest. They were definitely not the brightest. They, were, they definitely didn't have the greatest army. What was Israel's glory? But God walked with them. Right? Remember Moses said, listen, if you're not going to go with us, then don't take us up. We'd sooner be slaves in Egypt than go up there on our own. He was right. He was right. It was a, it was a fool's game. To go up without God. And what God is saying to them here, he's saying, now listen, um, uh, the Lord will no more drive out any of these nations before you, but they shall be snares and traps unto you and scourges in your side. Do you know what, what I see happening in often in Christians' lives? That God steps out of the picture. Now, he doesn't send lightning bolts, you know, to fry us. He just steps out of the picture. He just stops being there for you. You know, he just stops being on your side and, and working things out for you. And when he does, what happens is, not, not this, you know, <clears throat> cataclysm where the world collapses on your shoulders and you fail and you die instantly. No, what happens is, um, <clears throat> they become snares and traps and scourges and thorns. In your, imagine a thorn in your eye. A thorn in your hand's bad enough. A thorn in your eye? Do you ever have to get a needle in your eye? That's a terrifying thought, isn't it? I mean, it, I mean, it makes you kind of, uh, the hair on the back of your, your, your neck stand up and you get goosebumps and everything. The thought of getting the needle in your eye. Uh, they're going to become thorns in their eyes <clears throat> uh, until you perish from off the good land. And that's what I see happening in Christians' lives. They decide to make friends with the world and what happens is problem after problem after problem after problem. And the world that they wanted to be friends with just creates all kinds of problems and issues and difficulties for them. That, that, that's, that's what happened to Israel, and, and, and that's what happens to us too. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> until ultimately they, 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 they perished off the good land. And we know, we know Bible history, that happened. 
They actually came to the place where they, were, where they were gone from the land. And behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth, and ye know in all your hearts and in all your souls uh, that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you, and not one thing hath failed thereof. Now, <clears throat> let, let me throw a question to you. Has God failed to do anything for you that he said he would do? Ever? Isn't that amazing, isn't it? Isn't that absolutely amazing that you can walk with God and he never fails? I, I've been walking with him now for 30 years. And he's never once failed. I failed him and missed blessings. But he has never once failed me. He has never once failed me. He has never once failed to do the best thing in my life. Even when I didn't see it as the best thing. It's always turned out to be the best thing. <clears throat> and <clears throat> that's what he's saying to Israel. Now Israel, we're, we're sharpen up here. Okay? God has been with you. God has helped you. God has blessed you. Has he failed you? Ever? And I say, no. No, he hasn't failed us ever. Okay? Why would you risk losing him? Why would you risk losing him? Therefore, it shall come to pass that all the good things, uh, <coughs> uh, that as all good things are come upon you, which the Lord your God hath promised you, so shall the Lord bring upon you all evil things until he have destroyed you from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. When ye have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods, and bowed yourselves to them, then shall the anger of the Lord be kindled against you, and ye shall perish quickly from off the good land which he hath given unto you. Now, we can be delusional, can't we? Here's, where, here's how we can be delusional spiritually. We, we, we have these strange moments when we can think we, we can make it on our own. We have these weird, I don't know, whether they're brainstorms or what they are, but we'll have a brainstorm that says, oh, I can do something I want to do, and even though God's not pleased with it, I'll be fine. I don't need him. And <clears throat> we have these crazy thoughts that go through our heads. But they're not true. The longer you live with him and the longer you walk with him, here's what you're faced with. You need him. I need him when I wake up in the morning. I need him when I eat my breakfast. I need him when I go to work. I need him when I go home. I need him when I go to bed at night. I need him every moment of every day. I cannot do without him. I am addicted to him. I was made to be addicted to him. We're all made to be addicted to him. We need him desperately. We can't survive apart from him. Oh, yeah, you say, no, hang on a minute. Uh, people do. People survive apart from him. Yeah. But always with a lack, always with a hole, always with a gap. He's the one that fills the gaps. 
He's the one that meets the need in our hearts. There's no way for us to uh, survive apart from him. All right, chapter 24. And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. And I gave unto Isaac Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau Mount Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. I sent Moses also and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to that which I did among them, and afterwards I brought you out. Now God's just rehearsing for them. And I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and ye came unto the sea, and the Egyptians pursued after your fathers with chariots and horsemen under the Red Sea. And when they cried unto the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, and brought the sea upon them, and covered them, and your eyes have seen what I have done in Egypt, and ye dwelt in the wilderness a long season. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, which dwelt on the other side Jordan, and they fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, that ye might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and warred against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not hearken unto Balaam. Therefore he blessed you still. So I delivered you out of his hand. And ye went over Jordan and came unto Jericho. And the men of Jericho fought against you, the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Girgasites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And I delivered them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drave them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, but not with thy sword nor with thy bow. That's interesting, isn't it? That God actually, on one occasion at least, just drove the enemy away with hornets. Did you ever get stung by a hornet? I've been stung by a hornet, I'll tell you what. Being stung by a hornet uh, is like about 15 bee stings all at once. It's, it's bad. Uh, <clears throat> and that's what God sent in to clear the land of them. I mean, God was in charge of this battle. God was doing this deal for them. Uh, God was taking care of them. And they had to know it. They had to see it. Now, as you look back over your life, don't you see that? Don't you see that God's been taking care of you? That God's been looking after you? That every good gift cometh down from the Father of Lights. Every good thing I have in my life today, you know what? It came from the Father of Lights. And even the things that I don't think are good are actually good because they came from the Father of Lights and I needed them. The Father of Lights brings everything into our place. He, he brings all those gifts, right? <clears throat> and um, he, he's the one that does it. Verse 13, And I have given you a land for which ye did not labor, and cities which ye built not, and ye dwell in them, of the vineyards and the olive yards which ye planted, not do ye eat. Now therefore fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood, and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. Right? <clears throat> Get rid of them. Now, here's, here's a fascinating thing, right? Now, we're a long ways away from Abraham now. We're guts of 500 years since Abraham's day. But you know what? There was still some of the worship of those gods going on. And <clears throat> Joshua is saying, put away that worship. You know what happens to us uh, as believers? We come into the kingdom with our idols stuffed in the stuff of the camels. That's where Rebecca had hers hidden. And um, we come into the kingdom, and we bring junk with us, don't we? And God says, get rid of it. Get rid of all of it. Now, he's patient and kind. You know, 
He, he obviously, I don't think they'd been blessed by it, but uh, he'd, he'd let them uh, have it, but he said, get rid of it. Get rid of all of it. Right? <clears throat> now, here's where we're going with this in verse 15. And if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now what's he doing here? He's calling them to make a choice. He's calling them to come to a place where they actually choose. And do you know that God does that to us too? God calls us to make a choice. To choose whom we're going to serve. Are you going to serve the gods of the world? Or are you going to serve the Lord? What are you going to do with your life? You say, well, I'm not sure. Maybe a little bit of both won't work. You can't do a little bit of both. You say, well, I have these pet things in my life that I kind of like, and, you know, they work for me. It won't work. God says choose. You've got to choose. You've got to serve one. Don't you love Elijah when he says to the nation, choose ye this day. If the Lord be God, then serve him. But if Baal, then serve him. You've got to choose. And you've got to choose all the way. You can't choose a half-hearted way. You can't choose to serve God, you know, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> to give it a try. You know, it always amuses me when somebody says they're going to give Christianity a try. You can't give Christianity. How can you give God a try? You've got to choose. You've got to choose whether you're going to serve him or not. And when he, when he comes to serving him, he wants you to serve him fully, wholeheartedly. See, the picture is a marriage. Right? Somebody getting married doesn't say, well, okay, I'm going, to go, I'm going to get married to you, but I have a couple of girlfriends that I'm really fond of, and I'll just see them maybe once a month. No big deal. Just once a month. You don't mind, do you? Any girl in her right mind is going to say, uh, take a hike, buster. And definitely, if she has a father in the picture, he's definitely going to say, take a hike, buster, right? <clears throat> um, <clears throat> but, you know, when you get married, you, you, you choose a bride. A bride chooses a husband. And <clears throat> the idea is, you know what? It's you and I. Till death us do part. It's a commitment. It's a covenant. That's just the way it is. And <clears throat> when you choose, God is saying, choose me fully. Get rid of all the rest of the junk. You know, put it aside. Don't have anything to do with it. Put, put away the rest of the stuff. Put away the things of the world that would hold you back. Put yourself out on the edge. In the sense that you're choosing God. Now, <clears throat> let me quickly bring up a couple of other things here as we, we finish off, right? <clears throat> Verse 16, the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up out of our fathers and our fathers out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage and which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people with whom we passed. Uh, the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites which dwelt in the land. Therefore will we also serve the Lord for he is our God. You know what? They're responding as you would expect them to respond. Hang on a minute. He led us out of Egypt. He's taken care of us. He's given us this land. He's, we're choosing him. See what Joshua says. Verse 19, And Joshua said unto the people, You cannot serve the Lord. 
for he is a holy God. You know what? If you're going to choose God tonight, you're choosing holiness. You can't have God and an unholy life. You just can't. Your life has to be a holy life. Now listen, you're not capable of a holy life. But he sent his spirit to enable you. When you choose God, you're choosing a holy life and he's given you his spirit to help and enable you. Because look what it says. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. Now, that's not saying that God doesn't forgive. What it's saying is that if you choose idolatry in your life, if you choose sin in your life, if you choose to keep wickedness in your life, what's going to happen is it's going to come between you and God. You've got to repent of that stuff and be forgiven of it and put it behind you. What happens, though, is if, if you hold on to that stuff in your life, what's going to happen is it's going to be like there's a problem between you and God, because there is. Because he wants you to put sin behind you. He wants you to choose him fully. Uh, <clears throat> uh, verse 20, if you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you after that he hath done uh, you good. What's God's heart towards everybody in this room tonight? He wants to bless he wants to do us good. He wants in our lives to bring blessing and good. That's just his way. You don't have to wring it from his hands. You, know, you don't have to fast and pray for three months for the blessing of God upon your life. If you're his child, you have it. You know, your children normally don't have to ask you for blessings if they listen, if they're living in your home and they're doing right and living right. Listen, it's your joy and your delight to give them all that you can. That's the way it is. We're in the household of God. It's his joy and his delight to bless us. It was his joy and his delight to bless Israel. You know what? The amazing thing about Israel and God is how much blessing he poured out upon them in spite of how perverse they were. Because that's his nature. He wants to bless. He wants to uh, look after you. He wants to take care of you. Um, he does not want to do you harm. But when you turn your back on him and go your own way and do your own thing, Bible says that he stands against you. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't have the guts for that. I do not have the guts for God standing against me. I really don't want anybody standing against me. But you know what? If I have to choose between people and God, I'm going to choose God. I don't want him standing against me. I think I'll be okay as long as I'm right with him. I think as long as I'm right with him, as long as I'm okay with him, yeah, the, the rest of it's going to work out somehow. I, I, I can't, can't afford for him to be against me. Uh, verse 23, Now therefore put away, saith he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart towards the Lord God of Israel. I love that. It says incline your heart. It's, the idea is turn your heart. Lean your heart towards God. He's not saying to you tonight, right, listen, I want you to just do everything right, get it perfect, because if you don't, I'm just going to squish you. What he's saying is choose me, and incline your heart. You're not perfect. You won't be perfect this side of heaven. But you know what? If you incline your heart towards God, when you get it wrong, you're going to say, Lord, forgive me. That was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. And you're going to get it right again. And the Spirit of God's going to step in, and God puts sin away from us so that it's, it's, it's put behind him. You're not going to be perfect, but when you incline your heart towards God, God steps in and he is able to actually take you and help you and bless you. <clears throat> and it goes on to say, and Joshua wrote all these books down, uh, all these things down in the books. Look at verse 31. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that overlived Joshua 
and which had known the works of the Lord that he done, had done for Israel. Right? <clears throat> that was the extent of it, though. This generation served the Lord. They got it. They chose God. And they said, I'm going to serve him. They got it. I mean, <clears throat> we, we, we might say, some of the commentaries say that just shows Joshua's great leadership. Uh, <clears throat> well, maybe it does, and maybe it shows just a wonderful God that we serve as well. But these people chose right. And these people inclined their hearts towards God, and God blessed them unbelievably. Don't you want that? Now, look, I like the third and fourth generation. Pray for the third and fourth generation that God will actually bless them too and that, that, that it will go on past that. But you know what? I want blessing on my life. So <clears throat> two things you've got to do. Choose the Lord with all your heart and incline your heart towards Him. Don't make Him jealous by choosing sin and idolatry. Choose Him with all your heart. There's all the reason in the world to do that. He knows how to make your life work. He knows how to bless. He's going to ask you to do things that are going to look like, in terms of the wor what the world says, that won't work. It doesn't matter. Because He is the one that fights for you. He is the one that takes care of you. He is the one that watches over your life. Now turn with me to Luke chapter 12, and we're going to close there, right? Real quick. Luke chapter 12. I'm going to just pick out some verses for you here, right? <clears throat> verse 6. Um, <clears throat> verse 5. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Now listen. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. Ye are of more value than many sparrows. Here you sit tonight, you think, you know what, I'm not really up for much, and I'm not worth much. You know what God says to you? God says to you, listen, there's not a sparrow in this world that anything happens to without my consent. And he says, you're of much more value to me than many sparrows. He says, I have numbered the hairs on your head. Do you know God knows you that intimately? You know, nothing's happening in your life apart from God being involved in it. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. When he's, when he's speaking here, uh, he's speaking of persecution, and he's speaking of people that would, that would hate them and people that would want to kill them. And he says, don't worry about them. I've got your back. You're okay. I'll take care of you. I, I will look after you. Um, <clears throat> Verse 8, and also, I say also unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. How would you deny him? How did Peter deny him? Jesus? Jesus who? I don't know him. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about, woman. Can you deny him? 
Now you can deny him with your life, can't you? But he says, no, don't, don't deny me. He said, confess me before man. Hey, I'm with him. I belong to him. I'm with him. Um, <clears throat> um, look down to verse... <clears throat> Verse 30. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. God knows what you have need of. Did you know that? That God knows everything you need from now until the day you die. He knows everything you need. Now, He wants you to pray. He wants you to ask Him for it, but He, but he knows what you need. God knows what you need. He's, he's got it all accounted for. Um... But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. What does God say? Put me first. Choose me. Choose me, and I'll take care of all these things for you. And I love this next verse. Uh, Sell what ye have. Sorry, verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He just loves to bless us. He just loves to bless us. The issue for us is simply this. Who are you going to choose? Are you going to choose him? Or are you going to choose the world? Is the world where you're going to get your blessing from? Or is he where you're going to get your blessing from? Are you going to choose him? Or are you going to choose the world? It was that way when Joshua said it. It was that way when Elijah said it. It's that way when Jesus says it, and it's that way tonight. Who are you going to choose? If you choose him, he will take care of you. And you're going to come to the end of your days, and you're going to look back, and you're going to say, you know what? He didn't miss a beat. Just like Israel are saying. And if you choose the world, you're going to make him upset. And you're going to make him... Not cream you, but just step out of the picture. You're going to choose what Jeremiah calls the cisterns that can hold no water instead of the fountain of living water. It's a bad choice. Who are you going to choose tonight? Are you going to choose him or are you going to choose the world? There's a cost either way. But the cost is infinitely more when you choose the world. Who are you going to choose? Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will choose the Lord. What about you? Let's stand for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this night. Thank you, Lord, for this people. And we thank you for a word, Lord, that was delivered thousands of years ago but it's so valid and accurate for our day too. Now, blessed Spirit of the living God, would you touch the hearts of your people? Lord, would you draw us close to you, Lord, that we might respond to you? Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Let me ask you <clears throat> just one question tonight. Who are you going to choose? If you would say, I am choosing him, would you lift your hand so I can pray for you? Amen. Amen. See those hands? I'm choosing him. Anybody else tonight? I am choosing him. 
Somebody didn't raise your hand. I don't know, and it's not for me to judge why you didn't raise your hand. That's between you and the Lord. May it not be that you're choosing the world. That would be a dumb choice. Choose him. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your <clears throat> blessing and for your hand upon us. Thank you, for Lord, for uh, your word that challenges so much, Lord. Now, Lord, as, as these tonight have indicated it's their desire to choose you, Lord, or would you step in? Because, Lord, you've asked us to incline our hearts, Lord. You've not asked us to get everything right, because we can't. But would you step in and help and enable and encourage? And, Lord, <clears throat> would you help each one to be willing for each step of the way and that your blessing in your hand might rest upon them. And Lord, may we see blessing in this place. Uh, may we see blessing in these lives because nobody can walk with you without blessing, Lord. It's just the way. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.